Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Threepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello, this is uh, Max Reaper, the editor of Royals Review, here with the, uh, another episode of Royals Review Radio, and we're going to kind of do things a little bit differently today, just because I wanted to have as our guest, our usual host, Sean Newkirk, uh, just to have him talk about the upcoming draft next week, as well as uh, some um, prospect news. So, Sean, are you all you pumped up and ready for the draft? Yeah, you know what, and it kind of sucks, uh, I have class on Tuesday night. So I'll have to be following along from class, unfortunately. So, uh, although it's one of those classes where it's just every week it's a new, um, they bring in like a lecturer, so it's not like I've got to like take notes and stuff. So I'll have to be in the background just looking at my computer, never making eye contact with the with the guy talking, just watching the draft. So, <laughs> well, you would probably learn a lot more in the draft following the draft that day than you will in class. Yeah. So. So it's a, the draft is June 12th through the 14th, uh, three-day draft. The Royals will have the number 14 overall pick. Uh, last year they didn't have a first-round pick because they signed Ian Kennedy's, but it will be nice again to have a, a first-round pick, and they'll, they'll really need it to kind of replenish a farm system that's fallen and uh, gotten a little bit thin lately. Uh, now, Sean, you had a really interesting piece, I thought, last year about, about the Royals in the draft, and you know they have this kind of reputation of building the team through the draft and, and building a championship team through the draft, but their last couple drafts haven't really panned out. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, what, what you found in, 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 in uh, covering the world's last couple of drafts under Lonnie, uh, new scouting director Lonnie Goldberg? Yeah, uh, I mean, it's it's basically like in the first round, it's just a lot of like high upside, but and that's what you want in the first round, but it's. It's a lot of raw high upside, if that makes sense. And it's not like, uh, so like the first overall, or well, he won't be the first overall hit, but, but he's probably the best draft prospect in the draft, Hunter Green. Um, he's He's got like the most upside in the draft, and it's a huge upside. And the good news is he's he's not he's not super raw. Um, I mean, he is. I mean, he's a high schooler. He's a two-way position player high schooler. Um, but... His upside is huge, and, you know, he's already got a lot of good current skills as opposed to kind of some of the guys the Royals have taken the past few rounds early. Um, you know, obviously they've taken, like, Brandon Finnegan, Chamanaya, Hunter Dozier. Those are college guys. Um, but you look at, like, the 2015 draft, which was Ash Russell and Foster Griffin, or Nolan Watson. Um, you know, Griff, uh, Russell was big upside but super raw, only had really one pitch. Uh, with this fastball, and now absolutely no one knows if he's alive anymore. I mean, he's hitting in the backfields of Arizona right now. 
Um, and then same thing with Nolan Watson, where he was actually a little more polished than uh, Russell, both from Indiana high schools. Um, and, yeah, he just never came forward. I mean, nothing improved. You know, he hasn't really moved much from when he was a, a high schooler. I think they're both 20 now. Uh, might be 19, but I, I think they're both 20 at this point. So, I mean, they're still kind of young, but still worth going. Uh, then there's, you know, Foster Griffin the prior year. I'm sorry, I don't – I'm trying to get all my draft draft picks right. Um, and so Griffin's kind of the same where he was like a high-polished Florida guy and then nothing came around for him. Um, and so he actually had some good success in Wilmington repeating this year, but uh, he just pitched tonight. We're recording this on Sunday, and he just got lit up in double A um, tonight. So it's just been a lot of stuff like that where it's guys that have just been like, you know, really great upside, um, and it's been a lot of prep pitchers too, and they just haven't turned that around. And whether that's a Lonnie Goldberg thing or something with the development staff, you know, that's a, that's a hard thing to tell how these guys would have developed elsewhere, but I can't imagine that, you know, it's it, it's got to be part of the pick. It's got to be mainly Goldberg's issue, I would imagine, identifying talent. Because, you know, it's one thing being able to, you know, turn guys who weren't talented into something talented, like, you know, maybe the Cardinals have a history of. Uh, but, you know, first-round picks you shouldn't miss on. That's, that's on the scouting director. That's not on the development side. Yeah, and, you know, some people might say, well, the Royals have been picking later because they've been more successful. And some of that's true, but... We're also talking about Kyle Zimmer, pick yep. number eight, Christian Cologne, pick number four. And also, like, the Royals have, in the past, found a couple of nice, you know, players later in the in the later rounds. Danny Duffy, you know, Draw Dyson yep. in round 50. They're, they're, it seems like they're not really getting that in the more recent years. Uh, you mentioned that, that 2015 draft with Ash Russell. I'm looking at the, that draft right now, and it looks like, you know, it's you know still early for a lot of these guys. Yeah. But aside from Josh Dalmont, who is their second-round pick, and, and maybe Garrett Davila, who's their fourth-round pick. That rest of that draft, I mean, a lot of these guys have already been released, I know. Yeah. Uh, I just don't see a lot there that's going to, you know, certainly no gems in the later rounds. Right. Um, I know I wrote an article recently about the t- looking back at the 2012 draft, and I think 12 of the top 20 picks uh, are no longer uh, that the Royals selected are no longer in baseball, which is uh, pretty damning <laughs> for yeah. a, a small-market franchise. And, of course, their top pick that year, Kyle Zimmer has had all sorts of injury problems. So yeah, it's it's when you're a small market team and you just cannot whiff on an entire draft class like yeah. that. So and the um, I mean, and I'm looking at that 2015 draft too here, and there are a lot of guys that man, it's unfortunate. Like just just in front of Ash Russell, there were a couple guys that went that are top 100 guys, um, and then like right after them, it's a mix. I mean, the only one is like Walker Bueller, who uh, is for the Dodgers. He's a pretty dang good guy now. Uh, Mike Nickerak is pretty decent. And so there are guys behind him, but, um, I mean, when you look at, like, the 2014 draft, even, uh, as I'm pulling it up here, uh, oh, that's right. We picked Brandon Finnegan, and, like, right after Finnegan, I mean, Eric Feedy, and, of course, they traded Finnegan, but, like, Feedy's a different guy. Obviously, Bradley Zimmer's playing right now. Uh, Luke Weaver's pretty good. Uh, Matt Chapman, Grant Holmes was traded uh, to Oakland. He's pretty dang good. And even if you don't look at Brandon Finnegan, I mean, even after Foster Griffin, there's guys like Justice Sheffield, Forrest Wall, uh, even Jack Flaherty. I mean, there's a whole bunch of guys uh, that ended up being, you know, pretty decent prospects that they got picked over. So, yeah, yeah, I don't know. And then, yeah, then you, as you mentioned, I mean, when you start going back to when they had top five picks with Starling, uh, with Cologne, I mean, top five-ish with Cologne, Starling, Zimmer, um, you know, of course, 1-1 with Hochever. I mean, it's just... 
It's unfortunate. Yeah, and you can't miss on stuff like this. You can't be – the Rays survived that one horrible draft class they had uh, somehow. Uh, what year was that? I know you wrote about that or that you know that one offhand, right? The one where they had like – I want to say like eight picks in the top 90 or something? Uh, that sound familiar? I don't yeah, okay. I don't know that one. Which one is that one? No, no, uh, that's fine. But uh, but that's what I'm. You, you remember what I'm talking about? Is what I'm saying, though, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, they somehow survived that. But even then, but then you know, of course, they had David Price, they had Evan Longoria, uh, they got Chris Archer for basically free from the Cubs. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, you can't miss on stuff like that. Oh, I, I, is a the Tim Beckham drive? I think that's oh yeah, right, right, right. And he was like the second. Or first, was he first overall? But I mean, he was super early too. He's like, he's like, and he's like the only one that made the big leagues out of the entire draft class. <laughs> yeah, and it and was kind of a mercy call up too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, well, you know, the Royals have been. It seems like either they've picked late in the draft because of their recent success, or they've picked really early in the draft because they've been pretty terrible. This year they're drafting in the middle. So, like, what with the number fourteen pick? I mean, what what's like a reasonable expectation? Because I know I think a lot of fans think like first rounder. That means he should be an all-star, right? But that's not necessarily always the case. What what kind of player do you think is available at number 14 usually? Yeah, you got the guys that you got. I think you kind of got two guys. You've got really, uh, okay, you have three. You got the guys who fall due to signability issues. Um, you got like your college juniors who are super talented that should go, you know, in the top two or three, but they, they don't end up signing. Um, kind of like how Sean Manaya was. Uh, you then of course you've got your prep guys who are committed to like a really big time school like a LSU, Florida, UCLA, something like that. Uh, and then you know their signability questions. That's kind of a bit like Jason Groom was for the Red Sox last year. Uh, he was he would have been my number if I had the first overall pick. You know I would have taken him one one. He's insanely good, but he fell to them at eight or so um, because he you know they weren't sure if he was going to go to school or not. And then you've got your it feels like after that, you've got your guys. There's a there seems like a big drop off from the f- about five one through five, and then ever, after that, it's like an incremental drop off to where it's a toss up between like you know your 14th overall. You could end up getting you know like the 10th best player or the 20th best player, something in that range, and it, it's it's a very much kind of a, a roll of the dice at that point. When you're talking top five picks, you, you've got pretty high probabilities. But once you get past like ten or so, it's kind of like ah, uh, it's much more of a roll of the dice. So, but definitely be some prep pitchers around for him. Um, and I think college pitching is one of the weaknesses of the draft. Uh, so it, it looks like it'll be yeah, it'll probably be a prep pitcher they're going to take early in the fourteenth. Yeah, it's always interesting when you like look back at like old drafts. Uh, just you know, looking back, of course, we know what kind of player these guys end up becoming. So you look back and you're like, man, how did Clayton Kershaw get yeah. passed on by, you know, six, seven teams, and then like some, you know, crummy infielder who never made the big leagues gets taken ahead of him? But you know, but at the time, no one, no, no one really knows what the future is ahead of these guys. And of course, uh, you know, there's a lot of scout speak at this time year yeah. where guys have upside and helium, and, and other guys are a feel for pitching and, and, yeah. and projectability and. Uh, so yeah, it's, I don't know. It's it's this is not exact science at all. I think, no. uh, One know. of the best things is uh, for those who watch draft night, especially MLB. Now, well, they're the only one that cover it, but MLB networks. You're going to hear Harold Reynolds comp everybody <laughs> to Derek Jeter. Any shortstop is going to be Derek Jeter, Troy Tulowitzki, 
any pitchers, any left-handed pitcher is going to be, you know, going to be Clayton Kershaw. And any right-handed pitcher is going to be, I don't know, Justin Verlander if they've got power stuff. Like it's going to be always the exact same comps. Um, yeah, you know what? And looking, man, looking at that 06 draft with Hoch or Hochever. Well, yeah, with Hochever, but with Kershaw, like the first two picks were bad, and then you get Evan Longoria, and then Brad Lincoln, who was, you know, nothing really. But then it's like, man, there were some really solid players in that draft. And, you know, of course, the Royals with 1-1 pick, like, oh, man, one of the, well, you know, I like Hoax. So maybe not one of the worst guys you could have picked, but, man, you had your pick at everybody. And then, you know, you passed on Kershaw, Scherzer, Longoria, Lincecum even. In Ian Kennedy was in that draft. So, mm-hmm. Scherzer, Max yeah. Scherzer. Yeah, Scherzer. Local, and, local boy at that time, yeah. Yep, Drew Stubbs even, ah, oh, man. And the funny thing at the time is that there was no discussion of Clayton Kershaw yeah. 1-1 or Max Scherzer or... Uh, it was mostly Luke Hochaver. You know, the Royals' discussion was Hochaver or Andrew Miller, who, yeah. you know, we think of Andrew Miller as a dominant reliever. Of course, he was a really crummy starter for yeah. several years for the Tigers, Marlins, and then Red Sox. So, uh, you know, it's just shows, you know, development plays a part in this. Uh, circumstance, you know, what team selects you, the circumstances, all that, you know, determines how what, what kind of player these guys end up becoming. So, yeah, yeah it'll be interesting to see. Kershaw had a... Um... Man, he threw a no. I think he threw a twenty-seven strikeout complete like game, no hit, whatever, perfect game in high school. <laughs> like it's amazing how he went under the radar. And uh, like Baseball America had Luke Kochver as the eighth best prospect in that draft in two thousand six. Hmm. Uh, Miller one, Linscombe two, and then Brad Lincoln, Longoria, Greg Reynolds, Kershaw sixth. So I mean, I don't know. Uh, I I wasn't really following the draft. I, I was a junior in high school. At that point, so I don't recall. But um, what? So the discussion was always with Hochever, just because I, I don't know. I, I'm curious on why that was necessarily. Do you recall anything about that? Well, or? yeah. Well, so my thing was uh, Miller was the kind of consensus number one, but yeah. it wasn't a very strong consensus. And, it, and, the, and the feeling was that was one of the weaker. <laughs> it's funny that you say that this is a really strong draft. At the time, it was kind of considered a weak draft. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and but everyone thought Miller was probably the best pitcher in the country. There were some injury concerns, and then there was also signability because he was—he had some pretty high bonus demands. This is before uh, the draft pool era, so yeah, yeah, you know, these right. guys were asking seven, eight million dollars uh, for a draft bonus, and so there was some concern that the Royals wouldn't be able to pay up what he what he's demanding. And then Luke Hochaver, of course, he is the one that didn't sign with the Dodgers out of school uh, because of his draft demands, and he ended up playing in the independent league for a year. Uh, so I guess the yeah. feeling was he would be more signable because he didn't want to sit out another year um and i think you know the thing the feeling was he was more he was pretty polished at the time yeah. that he he was you know older um he had pretty good sinking stuff that would play in the big leagues pretty quickly and this is a franchise that you know was just desperate for pitching at the time so i felt like they they felt like that was the safest safest guy they could take that had pretty good upside uh, i remember at the time i was enamored with Tim Lincecum. A lot of stat guys were kind of hyping him up. Yeah. Um, but my concern with him was that he had enormous workloads at University of Washington. Um, but I, you know, other than that, I loved his delivery. I loved his his stuff. Uh, just I thought he was kind of a a red flag as far as health. So my choice was was ironically Brad Lincoln. I thought he'd yeah. be a nice, safe healthy choice and of course he ends up getting hurt yep. and never really has much of a career at all so yeah just shows you know like like it's just hard to predict this stuff yeah i was reading and i'm looking at baseball america's 2006 like mock draft the tuesday morning right before they the actual draft and it said 
Yeah, Andrew Miller, but he's asking too much, so it leaves the Royals looking at two right-handers, Luke Hochever or Brad Lincoln of Houston. And it's like, ugh, like... Any, unfortunately, any of those three picks would, you know, they ended up being okay, I guess, in the end. But, you know, at the time, these look like the top three consensus picks. You wouldn't have been wrong for picking any three of those guys. And still, even if you took Drew Stubbs, you still wouldn't look bad. And that's like all three of those guys were never close to what, you know, people might have expected them to be. So, yeah, yeah, that's a it, tough one. And, and it's funny, is like the discussion about Evan Longoria, like, I think people knew he was one of the best players in the country. But yeah. it was like, well, we, the Royals already have a third baseman of the future. His name is Alex Gordon. Yeah. Of course, little did we know that Alex Gordon wouldn't stick a third very long. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. Yeah, it's weird how these things always play out. Yeah, but, and uh, being a 50-win player or something like that. Or I think Kershaw's like 50, 40-something like wins. Yeah. It's nuts yeah. How, yeah, how off that was. But uh, what are you going to do? Well, let's try to take our stab at predicting yeah. the future with this year's draft. Um, it seems like a lot of the Mac drafts, are linking the Royals to a bunch of prep pitchers. Um, I know that, and Keith Law even mentioned in his latest report that he's hearing a lot of buzz about the Royals uh, being connected to New Mexico pitcher Trevor Rogers. Uh, he's out of Carlsbad, I believe, and then a Texas pitcher uh, Shane Baz. Uh, I guess first of all, what's your what's your thought about drafting uh, high school pitchers in the first round? It seems like you expressed a little concern about that before when you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, and I don't know if I'm just jaded from the Royals, but like. I don't even know, like, even if, you know, if someone put me in charge, if someone made the bad decision to put me in charge of, like, you know, drafting a first-round pick, like, regardless of, you know, being organization neutral, not even caring about who the organization is, what their track history uh, is, man, I just don't know if I would ever take a prep pitcher first round. I I certainly wouldn't ever take, like, a cold-weather prep pitcher first round. Um, And, of course, like I said, I'm, I'm a bit jaded by the Royals picks recently, but, like, Trevor Rogers, he's even the one like he's he's got not a ton of red flags, but he's I think he's one of the older prep pitcher one of the oldest prep players in the whole class. That's already an immediate red flag because there actually is a nice link between success from uh, age and draft. Usually, young guys, you know, seventeen and a half, eighteen year olds, really young uh, seniors in high school, they usually end up doing pretty well. Uh, better at least than their 19-year-old uh, picks, their 19-year-old colleagues in high school. Like I think Bubba Starling was 19 or 18 and a half, or he was definitely an older uh, high school guy. So that's kind of that. And then I don't know. Like he's one of those guys that you hear like loose arm a lot. And then like Rogers has played a bunch of people this spring, and he's not been very good this spring. And then his fastball is like four miles lower than what it usually is and it's just I don't know like this is a red flag kind of pick for the Royals like it's a slam dunk pick that they would make but it's like a red flag if you read into all the little stuff about them um I don't know and it's a kind of a lower arm slot I I just don't like the Rodgers pick I don't know and that's what they go with okay you know what you know you could see that coming but Man, everything to the everything with Rogers just screams to me another one of kind of a uh, slam dunk Royals pick that's going to end up like you know other prep pitchers we've seen. Yeah, I think what, what concerns me the most, I think, is just that he's been inconsistent. I guess against um, you know New Mexico competition is probably not what you'll find in California or Texas yeah, or, Texas or Florida. Florida. And yeah, yeah, and I, you know I don't want to like knock guys that aren't from those kind of hotbeds, you know, because like Mike Trout was from New Jersey and yeah. look what he became, but. If you're not dominating and you're just kind of, uh, you know, putting up so-so results, and I guess yeah, his velocity's been up and down. That's that's probably a red flag to me. 
Baz, on the other hand, um, he sounds like if you're going to take a high school kid, you know, I, I think the the perception is you're going to take a really raw kid with high velocity who doesn't know how to pitch. Baz actually sounds like he knows how to pitch. He's got a pretty deep repertoire. What's kind of your feeling on, on Shane Baz out of Texas? Yeah, Baz, so he kind of reminds me a bit of uh, Tyler Kolick, who also is from Texas. Um, he went to the Marlins at third overall or second overall uh, two years back. Um, you know, obviously fastball first guy, and that's a little bit what like um, Riley Pint was here from Kansas that went to the Rockies. Um, I, at first, I didn't necessarily like Baz because I was, you know, it just checks off all those prototypical fireballing Texas prep pitcher kind of things that it seems like more often than not those guys don't work out. Even like fireball, you know, uh, high schoolers seem like they don't work out very well. Guys who just have one pitch, it's a fastball, and you know, they've got a curveball. And then they've got the changeup that they never have to use in high school because they can just use their fastball and just blow away, you know, guys with awful bat speed, you know, in high school. Um, Baz, let me at least say that Baz looks the part of like a, you know, a badass pitcher. Um, he, if you're going to build a, like a prototypical high schooler from Texas, it's going to be Shane Baz because that dude just fills out, looks like he could be selling jeans, I think I said about him. Um, so I like him from, from that standpoint. I don't know enough about the secondaries. I know that like he he has like he's got the cutter, he's got the fastball, and then he's got like a curveball. I think there's a fourth pitch of some sort. I, I don't remember what it was. He's, he's doing, yeah, he's developed a slider too. Okay, that's right. I don't so so I don't even recall reading if he had a changeup. So that's kind of a, a thing I'd like to uh, know about. It seems like he doesn't. So know that that's a killer. He's a right-hander, so that's not that big of a deal. But it's it's nice to have guys who have you know obviously really good changeups because. If you have your fastball, and then you've got your changeup. I mean, those two play off each other, and both can play each other up. So, um, But you know what? The more that I kind of read about Baz, I think I like him a little more than I used to, but I'm still very, very you know, weary of uh, Texas fireballers for the most part. You know, they don't all end up being um, uh, Roger Clemens. No, Roger Clemens was a Texas. But anyways, he was a Texas prep guy. But, you know, they're, they're not. They, they usually seem like they don't work out that well. Yeah, well, yeah, it's probably true, but, uh, you know, Baz, I think what I like about him is that he also has a pretty kind of fluid, uh, like, repeatable delivery that's not like a – he's not like a max effort guy where it looks oh, like yeah. he's just expending a lot of effort. Like, And the fact that he has a pretty good repertoire, I think, you know, makes me think he's a little more polished than a lot of kids, you know. Sure. I, you know, you talk about being jaded by these prep guys. I've been, I think I'm jaded by the guys that have great velocity, but – don't really have any other secondary pitches because right, like time, yeah. well you know how, how are you going to pitch in the big leagues if you don't have a secondary pitch they can hit 98 mile per hour fastballs in the big leagues well baz does have a pretty good uh selection to choose for him so i think that makes me a little more higher on him and you know he, he can touch 98 on the gun so he has that kind of upside i think uh that uh, you know you would you would associate with a high school pitcher but also have a little bit of polish i think so i think he's kind of intriguing uh but we'll kind of let's see We'll see if he's even still on the board when the Royals pick at number 14. Uh, another uh, prep pitcher that the Royals have been connected to a little bit is uh, D.L. Hall, a uh, kid out of Georgia. I know Dayton Moore probably likes his Georgia kids being from the Braves. Um, he's a left-hander, I believe, uh, considered one of the top lefties in the draft. Uh, do you know a little you – know, what can you tell us about D.L. Hall? Yeah, um, he – I think a lot of people are thinking he's like one of the higher ceiling, at least prep guys in the, in the whole draft which is kind of nice, and I know he had like a mid-90s fastball at one point, and I know, I'm trying to recall what I, because I, 
been so out of draft stuff for the most part, but I've been kind of dipping it back in. I'm going to pick it back up here. Uh, I know he had a really, really good showcase. I remember Jim, uh, or not Jim Callis, John Manuel from Baseball America talking about this on Twitter about how good Hall was at uh, one of the showcases he was just last year. Hall's decent. I mean, I know that he's had some issues this spring, and I think he's been healthy. I don't think it was an issue with him being unhealthy or, you know, arm, uh, like a, a, a nagging arm injury. Uh, I think he just kind of, you know, Georgia has really, really good prep scene. So, it, you know, there's really good competition there. So it'd be worse if he was getting beat up by guys, you know, in Kansas or something like that. But, you know, he's facing pretty solid competition. Uh, I know he was mid-90s with the fastball um, and then pretty dang good curveball as well. So, yeah, I, 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 D. Hall, it's hard to pick a pitcher whose first name is D.L., especially when it's a <laughs> Royals pitcher. And I know that joke's been made, you know, a hundred times. Uh, but still... Yeah, I, I think out of the three guys mentioned, I think I might like – I think I like Baz more. I know I kind of went against the whole everything I just said, but I think I like Baz a little more than Hall. But I definitely like uh, Baz and then Hall and then Rodgers. I think I like Rodgers the least out of the three that they've been connected to there uh, for the most part. And it's not all high school pitchers they've been connected to. There's also been some talk that they're really interested in uh, Vanderbilt outfielder Dren Kendall, uh, who I think at one point was considered one of the top players in this draft, but has kind of fallen off the scene a little bit and is expected to slide into the mid uh, of the first round. What do you what do you like about Kendall, and is he is he a good fit for the Royals at this point? Yeah, I don't know. Um, Vandy guys usually have a pretty good track record. Uh, obviously, a really, really, really good uh, baseball school. Uh, Kendall's super dupe. I mean, he's extremely fast. Uh, I think he might be up there with, like, you know, Dyson and Gore level speed. Um, he's amazing. Really good center fielder. Um, you know, there's the college guys that are always questionable. If they stick there, they're bad first guys. Kendall at least fits that mold of a Royals guy. Super fast. Really, really good defender. Can stay in center. Really, really strong arm. Um, you know, he also kind of fits the mold of where they like kind of raw power. Uh, might not be able to access it right now, but definitely has a ton of raw power. I know that he struck out, like, obviously SEC is really, really good baseball conference, but I think Kendall struck out, like, 25 or 30% um, this year from what I was reading. So that's obviously a big red flag. College hitters shouldn't really be striking out a lot um, unless they're, like, you know, huge power first baseman kind of guys where you can live with it. And, of course, you know, if he ends up being, like, a plus 20 defensive run guy at center field, that's really, really nice. Um, you know, he might end up being like Michael Taylor for the uh, the Nationals. Uh, super fast, a lot of raw power, good defender. Uh, but I don't know. Uh, there's a lot to kind of like about Kendall, and I know I think it was Keith Law that comped him, like as a Corey Ray type who went to the uh, Brewers. Uh, he was from Louisville. Um, and so I, I, like, I like Corey Ray a lot uh, last year. Uh, but... I don't know. The strikeouts are really, really worrisome with him. It's great that he's got a lot to fall back on. Uh, it's great that he's got a ton of experience. You know, he's at Mandy, playing in the SEC, he played in the U.S. national team. So there's a lot of kind of good positive signs. Uh, he's really good as a prep uh, selection, too. Ended up going to school, obviously. But, yeah, the strikeouts are just concerning. I mean, college guys, top college prospects should not be striking out uh, for the most part. Yeah, You know, if he was like a back-end kind of, First round guy, that's okay. But if you're going to take a guy in the top, you know, 15 picks, 
he just can't strike out. Uh, that's just like a huge, huge red flag because he's going to strike out more in the, in, once he gets to pro ball. Yeah, a Vanderbilt guy that strikes out a lot reminds me of, of Pedro Alvarez. Yeah, yeah. Who, you know, like had a couple of, I guess, okay years, but yeah. washed out, I think, pretty quickly. So, uh, yeah, I'd be a little wary of that as well. Clint Scholes at Baseball Prospectus Kansas City wrote a little bit about Kendall, and he compared him to George Springer, which I don't know if he has that kind of power. Yeah. Uh, yeah, probably more like, I guess, like David DeHaze's type power is what I, I, yeah, I yeah. kind of, that was my impression, but with better speed and defense. So, um, but, you know, that wouldn't be, I think at number 14, I, I wouldn't be totally, you know, upset with that. I think that's pretty good upside. Yeah. And um, if you can get around the, the strikeouts a little bit, which is interesting because, you know, the Royals seem to be kind of anti-strikeout as an organization. You think that would be like something they'd want to avoid, but maybe they like that speed and defense yeah. and not overlook that. And it's not that it's a beggars, choosers kind of thing, but, you know, at the fifth overall or at the 14th overall pick, you know, you're not going to get. You're not going to get Byron Buxton at that pick, you know. So you kind uh, of you're going to have to live with some flaws. Right. Um, it's just a matter of picking your flaws, I guess. Is right. The point there. Yeah, and really, all these guys have some weakness. I mean, Clayton Kershaw had some weaknesses when he was drafted yep. that he was able to overcome, and that's that's what development's you all think? about. I don't know. I still think that I think I would have gone someone else than Kershaw. Honestly. <laughs> uh, like so Brad Lincoln. <laughs> I stand by that. Yeah. So let's see. So I just want to look real quick. So George Springer in his draft year. Struck out 38 times in 237 at-bats. Uh, so even if you just use, you should use plate appearances for that, but 16% strikeout rate if you want to yeah. just use at-bats. Well, like you should use plate appearances. Uh, but still, I mean, and if you add in his walks, hold on, give me just two seconds. Uh, I want to give a good thing on this because, I mean, 25% is a lot for a college guy. Mm-hmm. Even like a guy, you know, if you're going to comp him to George Springer, that's fine, but... 38. Let me add back his walks. I know. I know. For the listeners, this is really, really boring. But give me two seconds. Uh, uh, so, given that, uh, 13. We'll call it 14% strikeout rate. So, not even close to what Kindle's doing. Right. Uh, 10% less. So, I don't know. So, let's talk about some guys that you really do like. Yeah. You did have an article last week about some some guys you identified as players you'd look for uh, in the draft. And it seemed like you leaned more towards the college hitters. So. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the college hitters you like in this draft. Uh, which one? Who do we want to start with? You pick one. Let's talk. Let's talk with my personal favorite. Is Keston Hura? Is yeah, that am I saying that right? I think that's how we've figured. Yeah, out of it. UC Irvine. Yeah. Um, I, I love it, and I have, uh, I've got such a a love interest in second baseman who can hit. I know, and every time I talk about Keston, I bring that up uh, because I, I love the Hap. Uh, the Royals didn't have a shot at Ian Happ. He went too early, but I would have absolutely taken Ian Happ uh, with the Royals' uh, first pick. Uh, I, I loved Forrest Wall. Uh, he ended up being a really good pick for the Rockies. The Royals had a shot at Forrest Wall. Excuse me. <clears throat> I like Bo Bichette a bit. Um, I think he uh, he's a shortstop now, but I think he moves to second. Um, but he went for the Blue Jays. He's absolutely doing nothing but destroying uh, A-ball this year. Uh, so, you know, second baseman, they get knocked down a lot because, you know, everybody thinks, oh, second baseman, he, he's not, they don't see him as second baseman, they see him as not shortstops, it feels like, which is a little mm-hmm. unfair because, you know what, if the dude can hit, as long as he doesn't have to play first base, I'll take him anywhere. Um, right. And that's what Hura does. That dude can absolutely hit. I think he's, if he's not the best hitter, I'll talk about the other guy that is up there as the best hitters, but he's got to be, he has to be up the up there is like one of the two best pure hitters in this draft. 
He's a college guy. There is some power. It's not like you're taking Christian Cologne where it's like a contact first, defense first kind of guy. I think uh, Hero's got you know at least 50, 55 power, really good hitter, gets on base a ton. At one point, he was like leading all of D1 and OBP by like a huge amount. Uh, and so, yeah, I absolutely love him. And I don't think he's a reach at all uh, for that. I mean, he, sh- he should go in that range. I wouldn't be surprised if somebody took him earlier, too. He seems like a Cubs kind of pick. Oh, I guess the Cubs yeah. don't have. Uh, first round pick, but he seems like if they did, like he's a Cubs Rays kind of pick there. Um, someone who says, you know what, we'll we'll draft him, figure out where he hits later. Do you, do you think he, he plays? Yeah. Do you think? I mean, do you think he could stick at second base, or do you see him getting moved to the outfield? Eventually? Oh, yeah. I mean, he could. I, I, the, so he's got the shoulder issue. So he's probably, maybe not probably, but there's a lot of talk on him having Tommy John surgery, which you know isn't a killer um, for a second baseman. Um, or for hitters, because, you know, they usually bounce back a little quicker. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that's the question. And that was the question with Forrest Wall, too. Forrest Wall had a huge shoulder injury um, in high school. And, I mean, he's doing just fine. I'm sure anybody would take Forrest Wall. I think he's a top 100 pick or top 100 uh, prospect on most lists. So, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Uh, even if he stays at second, and I think that um, you can live with it because, you know, if you move him to one of the outfield spots, he's not a center fielder. Uh, you have to move him to left or right. You know, he doesn't have the arm for right. Sure, he could play left field, but I think he could. I mean, as long as you can live with the, the weaker arm, and it's not like Whit Merrifield's got some exceptionally strong arm, um, then, yeah, I mean, he's, he could definitely be there at second. It'd be very odd to have an offensive mind at second baseman in Kansas City, I yeah, think. Well, you know, right. maybe Whit, maybe Whit's giving, a ta- giving us a taste of that now. But, yeah, I think after years of Chris Getz and Omar Infante, it'd be a, a welcome change for sure to have a yeah. power-hitting second baseman who can walk. Yeah. Uh, he's not the only uh, certainly second base is not the only position you looked at you also mentioned a first baseman out of Kentucky named Evan White tell us a little bit about Evan White oh I love Evan White Um, usually I don't like first baseman college first baseman and they almost never get taken early because they're huge huge risk I like Casey Gillespie a lot and he really struggled um, for the first few years I think he's kind of rebounded a bit uh, this year and last year but it's such a huge huge risk and like um, if you look at like a guy like Colin Moran, who ended up going the Marlins um, a few years back, very early, they were thinking like, oh, okay, he's a third baseman, but the only reason he's really going this high is because he's a third baseman. If he was a first baseman, then yeah, he absolutely was not going to get taken second or third overall. Is I think roughly where he went. Um, so we, you know, if you're a college first baseman, you've really really got to hit. And Evan White, he's two things. He might be the best hitter in the draft overall. And then he might also be the best defender in the draft. Now, first base defense isn't really that important, but Evan White is outstanding at first base, and that's the whole reason why Kentucky's playing him there, um, because normally he could fit somewhere uh, in right field, um, but they haven't played at first base for now. So that's a good thing, is that even if um, you you draft him and you, you have to move him off first base, which is a good thing, you've got a guy who can play a solid right field. Uh, so yeah, I'm absolutely all over Evan White. Um, he might be seen as a reach at 14, but you know what? I'd rather have Evan White. I'd rather reach for Evan White at 14 than take you know uh, uh, Trevor Rogers at 14, who I think would absolutely be just as much as a reach um, as well. So, big fan, great defender, great hitter. Yeah, he's a first baseman, but you know what? If he stays at first base, he's an absolute amazing defender there. And if he doesn't stay at first base, well, then the bat's even more important. Uh, because now he's got a good bat in right field, and the Duke can hit, and he's got uh, decent power. That's the big thing knocking him down. He's not a huge, bulking kind of like Pavin Smith, 
um, who's the other kind of college first baseman in this draft. Um, he's not a big hulking guy like him, so not a ton of huge power, but uh, White can hit, man. Yeah, it seems like the Royals would kind of like that kind of athletic first baseman who could play other positions, like you say, and, and you know, certainly with the way they seem to praise Eric Hosmer's defense at first base, they would probably place a higher emphasis on first base defense than maybe other franchises. So yeah. maybe it would be a pretty good fit for them at number 14. Uh, let's talk about some of the pitchers you mentioned. Uh, we'll start with Tristan Beck out of Stanford, uh, kind of a change-up pitcher. It seems like change-ups are really the way the Royals are going with their current rotation with Jason Vargas uh, and Danny Duffy having a lot of success with that. Would would he be like a really good fit as far as uh, the Royals in that respect? Yeah, um, he's arguably arguably has the best change-up in this whole draft, um, at least among the guys that are in like the top 50. You know, there could be some pitcher in college that has an awesome changeup but no other pitches. But as far as guys who have a really, really good changeup are going to go early, Tristan Beck is going to be up there with, like, McKenzie Gore, um, who's, like, going to go second or third overall probably. Um, but, yeah, Beck, really, really good changeup. Of course, the big thing is is that he had a back injury, a fractured back, I think is what it was. So he has not played at all this year. Some people think that um, he hasn't even pitched, I don't think, this year. So I think a lot of people are thinking, okay, he's got a deal worked out with someone. So he's like, you know what, I don't even need to try to re-injure myself. I'm just going to take the whole spring off and rest. Uh, so some people think that he's got a deal already worked out. Uh, I, so the Padres took Cal Quintrell uh, last year. Same kind of thing where they worked out a deal, so no one took him. Uh, Stanford teammate as well as with Tristan Beck. So I don't, I don't know if he actually has a deal worked out. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he's a guy that, yes, he's injured. Yes, that's a big flag. But... It's a, it's a kind of a back injury, so I, I don't know what the history of back injuries are with pitchers. Um, obviously, injuries aren't good at all, but you know, cause this is not a shoulder or elbow injury, I guess is the good way to look at it there. And, I mean, Sean and I had a hip injury. It ended up being nothing. So as long as it's not an arm injury, uh, you know, I think it's not that big of a deal. And Beck has a really, really good changeup, decent fastball, good curve. I mean, yeah, I fell in love with a good changeup. So that's that's where I start from there. Yeah, I, I think when it comes to trying to predict pitcher injuries, I've kind of just given up. Yeah. I mean, I, everyone said Kyle Zimmer has low mileage on his arms. He's new to pitching. Right. He's probably good a good bet to stay healthy. And of course, we've seen he just yeah. cannot stay on the field. Yeah. And you know, you know, other guys have been. You know, Tim Lincecum, like I said, was a I thought was a big you know red flag for a health risk, and he ends up winning two Cy Youngs. So yeah. can't really predict these things. So, I mean, you try to do your best, but um, yeah. yeah. A back injury is certainly not as big of a deal as an arm injury. Do you think he, he would be a guy that falls to round two? Um, I don't know about that far. I think people well, – let me see where. So I think – yeah, you know what? I was thinking maybe not. But like – so I think people are split. I know Eric uh, Longenhagen at Fangraphs uh, really likes him. At, maybe not really likes him, but likes him a lot more. Uh, so he's got him ranked as the 25th best prospect, so that's absolutely in play for the Royals. Uh, Baseball America's got him as the 66th best, so pretty big spread. I mean, you know, talking 40 different uh, spots there. So yeah, um, I, yeah, I think he, I think he'll still be around. I think you're going to have to snag him at the first round because if the Royals had like a comp A pick, uh, which picks right after the first round, then you could do that. But there's going to be a team that's got a first round pick that you know they'll probably go under slot on to save some money. Then they've got a comp A round pick, um, either compensation or competitive balance pick, that then they'll just snag a guy who falls there. And, yeah, I mean, Beck, you could draft him. 
maybe give him the, the summer off and then get him going the next year, kind of like what uh, Quantrill did. But he had Tommy John. But, yeah, I think you've got to take him early or you're going to not get him at all, for the Royals at least. Yeah. The, the Royals have four picks in the top 90, but they don't – they pick at 14, but then they don't pick again until number 52. Yeah. And then they'll have a competitive balance pick, which is what they give to some of the small market teams. They'll, they'll pick that at 73, and then they'll have their third-round pick at pick 90. So, yeah, yeah they, have, they have more picks at the top of the draft than, like, last year, but yeah. it's still – yeah, you know, so yeah. they they only have one pick in the top fifty. Right. Which they can't do is. the Manaya Dozier thing that they did. You know, they don't have a slam right. dunk kind of college guy. You know, like with Zimmer. You know, they're going to have to if they're going to try to get tricky. They're going to have to you know go under slot early at fourteen, and then really hope someone falls in the fifty six because fifty six is a pretty dang far fall for someone. I mean, if they had that backup pick like they did with Manaya, who I think was like thirty second or something, might not have even been that high. Um, you know, they went eight for Dozier, 30, whatever, for Manaya. That's fine. You know, someone could fall that. But it's tough to find any good talent to fall, you know, 50 spots from where they were supposed to go. That They might not just sign at that point. Yeah. So uh, we're, we're still a week away from the draft. The Royals are known for kind of holding their cards close to the vest. Like, if you had to kind of predict, I know, of course, it's hard to know who's going to be available at number 14. But if you kind of had to maybe just throw a name out there that you think the Royals would take, like, who would be the name that you think uh, – not necessarily that you would take, but that you think they would take? Yeah. Um, uh, two names. So I'll go with one name that I'm, I feel pretty strongly on. I think they are going to do uh, Rodgers. I think they really like him a lot. Um, I think Keith Law was talking about this on Twitter, I want to say, um, where they were talking about – it was Hall at one point, and now I think it's going to fall to Rodgers. Uh, that's pretty strong length from everything that I've seen. Um, and then another guy, I'll throw a wild card out there, uh, Logan Warmoth. Uh, he's a shortstop from UNC. I, I wrote about him. He was actually – so I wrote the piece about guys I like for the draft, and then I you know, submitted it, had it all queued up and ready to go, went back and added Logan Warmoth because I was thinking – as I was kind of looking at draft stuff, I was like, you know what? This seems like a Royals pick, and I kind of read Warmoth. I'm like, okay, I kind of like him a bit. Um but because he's a shortstop who can hit, which is great. And obviously, you know, that's a really, really same dunk thing. But he's a really bad defender at shortstop. I think a lot of people are going to think he might move over to third. Um, but you know what? Like I said in the piece, if he's Brad Miller, um, who's, you know, not a great defender. But you know what? The Rays just say, screw it. We don't care. They did that with Willie Adamas as well. They're like, you know what? We don't care how the shortstop plays defensively. Because a lot of shortstop, if he can hit, However, however poor defender is, it doesn't matter. If he can hit, it'll offset all of his poor defense uh, because the bar is so low for shortstop hitting that if you can get a guy who could be like a 90 WRC plus or 100 WRC plus like Warmoth could be, uh, then you've got a guy. It doesn't matter how bad his defense is because that's good enough. That's a good enough save for you. So um, I think it'll be Rodgers or I think Warmoth is a guy that really fits them. And I'll cheat. I'll actually say Jerron Kindle too. That's that's a very 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 pick by them. That's that's the best of both worlds. Where it's uh, it, that's their like Lorenzo Kane if he went to uh, Vanderbilt kind of thing. Where mm. it's a big athletic guy who pretty raw. You don't see a lot of raw college guys, but Kindle might be a raw kind of college guy. Yeah, I think Rogers kind of. Fits their profile yeah. seems like a little bit. Um, I'll throw another name out there that I think they may go for is uh, Florida University of Florida pitcher Alex. Uh, I don't know if it's Fado or Fado, yeah, I think it's but Fado. he's the Fado. Yeah. 
But, uh, you know, I think there might be maybe uh, a, 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 an emphasis on getting pitchers that can be kind of close to the big leagues just because they feel like they have a couple years here where they want to compete. Um, and I don't know, he seems like a guy that could conceivably be in the big leagues without, you know, a whole lot of uh, time in the minor leagues. Um, pretty good stuff. He had a little bit of knee surgery, uh, but is not considered anything serious. Uh, but he's already got three pitches that are pretty polished, uh, pitching in the SEC, which is very, like you say, one of the best collegiate leagues. So I could see them. I've seen some reports connecting them to him. So it wouldn't surprise me to see them go that way. Uh, Kendall, I think I can kind of see, but I, 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 the strikeouts just don't seem like they're MO to me. So I, yeah. I don't know. I don't, uh, yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe we'll see them change directions. You know, they, they definitely need offense too. And, yeah. and, um, you know, center field. We know they need a center fielder that can cover a lot of ground. So yeah, we'll I, see. Well, I said Paven Smith earlier. I I, I apologize, listeners. Uh, Jake Berger was who I was thinking of, Missouri State guy. Jake Berger. Mm, um, yeah. He's a third baseman, but he's not going to stay at third. He'll move over to first base. But I wouldn't. I don't know if I could. I think I could see them taking Jake Berger too. Um, I think they, you know, they could be like, man. Obviously, since they love power now, that's what Berger is. Man, he's. He's a grip it and rip it kind of guy, um, and he's a local guy, uh, local-ish guy, you know, Missouri State. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Jake Berger, I mean, that's kind of like, I think they were somewhat connected to Casey Gillespie a bit, and he's that similar kind of profile. He went to Wichita State. Um, so I think Jake Berger would be another guy they could throw in there. There's been a lot. There's not a lot, but there's been some talk of guys like, uh, what was it? Oh, he, uh, Heliot, oh excuse me, uh, Heliot Ramos would be an interesting one. He's like a super raw uh, prep outfielder, but he's just tools galore. Um, I think Eric Long had said he was sushi raw, was how raw he is <laughs> as a hitter. Um, but yeah, uh, Helio Ramos would be one, kind of feels like they're kind of pick a, a raw, speedy outfielder with, you know, needs the hit tool but to, to really, really move up, but uh, super young, super raw, so... And we'll we'll be able to find out uh, who they take, yeah. I guess, next week, and, and of course we'll probably come back at some point and, and recap the draft and talk about, yeah. uh, you know, how, who you like and who you don't like and what the Royals maybe could have done differently. So yeah. uh, definitely we'll come back and, and do that after the draft. Uh, and of course we'll have instant reaction. Yeah, I think probably the day of the day after live, the draft as well. Live tweeting during, unfortunately, my my mergers and acquisitions class um, is going to you know have to. I won't do the homework. I won't be paying attention to my mergers M&A class because I'll be watching the draft. So college tuition, this is what I'm, this is what I'm paying for to watch the I hope, I hope your professor is not a listener. So Ah, oh, dang. I didn't think about that. Yeah. Hey, well, while, while we have you here, let's talk a little bit about the, the Royals minor league system yeah. since we're you know, kind of halfway through the minor league season now. Um, I mean, first of all, I guess what's your kind of overall state of like what would be your state of the system speech? Uh, is it is it doing better? You know, we know the system – wasn't looking that great going into this year. Has it been maybe better than you expected? Worse than you expected? I think it's on par. Um, trying to think, like you know, Griffin. Talk about Foster Griffin. He did good again. He was repeating high A, um, and you know he did well. Of course, you got to take that with some grain of salt because it's a super pitchers league. Um, so it was not great that he did good there. Or he did bad there last year. And then this year he's done better, but it's like, you know what, you're repeating the league. It's, you know, Super Pitcher League. Um, Chris DeVito has been pretty surprising. I really figured – so Double A will obviously still be the big test for him. But he's done pretty well in Lexington, hit for the cycle the other night. Um, so that's definitely something that's surprising. Surprised me at least. 
Um, I was really curious on how he would translate to any level of pro ball. I think Keith Law was kind of dismissive of someone asked him on Twitter about yeah. uh, Devito, and he was like, "Well, he was at Lexington, who he was way too old for that league." Yeah. So, yeah. but he is hitting well in Wilmington, and which is a tough pitcher's league, as we know. So, yeah, I'll be interested in seeing how he does. I think at higher levels. Yeah, and I think Double A is really where uh, college guys. It's really tough to make a lot out of them if they're mm-hmm. if they're not in like Double A. Uh, like I know, so you posted about uh, Nicky Lopez. Uh, this past week, and so it's like, yeah, um, you know, Lopez is doing very, very well, better than I expected. Uh, so definitely got to give him props for that one there. Um, you know, I, he's another guy. It's like, okay, it, it, Wilmington, he's hitting very well in Wilmington, which obviously is awful for hitters. And so yeah, it's great to do him there. But he's a guy that's like, you know what? I want to see how he does in Double A before I kind of get on the train. I think that's my usual thought for for college guys, just because, uh, you know. Some, so like Jerron Kindle, like when at Vanderbilt, like SEC is the premier baseball league. But even those SEC, I think someone would equate SEC to like rookie ball, like talent wise. So it's kind of amazing that even like the top league, you know, in all of college baseball, it, it barely touches like low A, like talent wise there. So, uh, but and that's kind of counterpoints my argument is that it's like yeah, I mean Lopez went to Creighton, uh, you know, not a great baseball school uh, by any means necessarily but you know the fact that he you know did well in rookie ball in his pro debut um and then doing well in high a this year it definitely bodes well for a guy who was supposed to be a defensive first kind of guy so yeah i mean that's been surprising um i know you what were your thoughts what's your thoughts on on lopez i know that you you've kind of liked him but you kind of yeah, like well you know guys. i i like guys that can can kind of excel at any at any skill really if you can excel at one thing and don't have, you know, too many major red flags. Like Terrence Gore, okay, he can't hit. I mean, like, he just sells his game, but he can't hit. Yeah. But if you if you show really great talent and another skill, and you're not too bad at the other things, I get pretty excited about that. So Nicky Lopez has just crazy good contact skills, and he draws walks at a fair, fair pretty good rate. So that kind of play discipline is, and pitch recognition, I think, is really interesting to me. Yeah. Uh, and he doesn't, and, and so far, and you're right, he's he's been a little old, uh, I think. And, you know, college guys, a little harder to evaluate when they're kind of coming up against younger guys. Uh, but he has excelled, yeah. you know, at least, at least at done least very there. well. Yeah. Yeah, and, and he does, he doesn't really have any red flags to his game. I mean, the one you would think would be power because he's not a big guy. But he's he's had a decent amount of pop. I mean, he's not going to be you know twenty home run guy, but it, you know a guy that won't be a total zero yeah. in the home run department. I think uh, when you're talking about a middle infielder, I think that's you know kind of nice to have. So and and then um, you know his defense by all accounts I haven't seen him play, but by all accounts he seems to be a pretty good defender who can stick at shortstop if he needs to. So yeah. um, I'm I'm intrigued by him. I think is what I, the best way to characterize it. Just I'm not you know saying he's going to be the next starting shortstop. Uh, but I'm glad the Royals have a guy that can draw walks and yeah. strike out. Um, so I'm, I'm just, just going to be kind of keeping an eye on him. He's also a guy that like the coaches all love, and you know, yeah. not saying that stuff matters a whole lot, but it matters. And having a guy that is a great teammate and guys look up to and sets an example, that's those are all good things. So yeah. um, really an interesting guy and, and a guy to keep an eye on. Um, yeah. Clay Davenport, um, who does... All sorts of projection stuff, or not project. Well, he does projections, but he also does a lot of like sabermetric stuff. He has Lopez so far this year as being a plus four defender at shortstop, which would put him as the best def- 
Finn, just looking over by his ratings, the best defender, at least in the minor leagues, um, in the Royals minor leagues, that is. So, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, yeah, very, very good defender, and it looks like he's been working out this well. Yeah, definitely. Hey, he's, he's popped up a couple times on uh, uh, Fangraph's fringe prospect yeah. list. Yeah, so. and I'll tell you what, Carson is super, super good at that. He nailed Jerron Kindle, or Jerron Kindle, he nailed uh, Jarrell Cotton, uh, Corey Kluber, he was in on before anybody. His uh, his list of like picks on that fringe five scoreboard of these guys that he likes have actually turned out pretty damn well. It's very very interesting. No, oh, that is interesting. Yeah. Um, well, you mentioned like uh, the defense of the shortstops in the organization. I, I get asked this a lot actually. Is like, so they have Lopez now. They have Raul Montesi who's hitting well in Omaha yeah. now, which is probably where he should have been from the start. Ramon Torres, who uh, yeah. has never really put up offensive numbers before. Is off to a really good start in AAA for Omaha. Uh, so the Royals seem like they have, you know, certainly none of the guys. Montesi's still a top 100 yeah. kind of guy. But these other guys aren't really top prospects or anything, but they are kind of intriguing options. And we've seen, you know, Jorge Bonifacio, uh, you know, come out. Not He wasn't really a top prospect, and he's come on and hit pretty well at least so far. So how do you kind of see middle infield shaking out now? You know, there's some options. Corey Tubes might be another guy you can throw in there, although he's kind of had a poor year and, and got demoted. Um, how does it, how does the state of the in middle infield look in the organization right now? Yeah, um, you mentioned all the main guys. Um, uh, so the, the best, it's yeah, I mean, it's still modesty from a tools standpoint. Um, Ramon Torres is. I don't think it's good when Ramon Torres is the best, is maybe the this well the second best uh, guy in the system as far as from middle infield standpoint. Um, you know, twenty four year old guy in Triple A, um, but like you said, you got Nicky Lopez who's doing well. So I don't know. I mean, it's still everything is on the shoulders of Mondesi, and we've seen how Mondesi you know was the past two times now that he's been in the major leagues. Um, so I don't know. Kind of is what it is. It's definitely not a strength of the system. Um, is it the biggest weakness? No, first well, first base might be, third base might be the biggest weakness. Um, uh, but, you know, unfortunately the bar for one of these guys to clear is pretty low if it's Al- if you're just trying to beat Alcides Escobar. Has an 8 WRC plus after today's game, by the way, 8. Uh, <laughs> 92% worse than the league average. Uh, so, I don't know. It's kind of, I think everything, like I said, everything's kind of uh, status quo from where it was. It's nice to have Lopez. It might be a little higher. It's nice to have Lopez doing well. Um, that's been a big surprise. Uh, he's got like a 400-something OBP. So that's that's nice now that it's June 4th and not May you know, 8th. Um, or, so, yeah, I think it's about where it was, maybe slightly better, which is obviously a, a positive thing. Is there a guy that maybe has been the biggest surprise to you? Like I guess like Hunter Dozier... You know, had a disastrous yeah. season in 2015, but then turned it around yeah. in 2016. Is there a kind of guy like that that maybe had a bad year last year? I mean, but has if, kind of turned it around this year. With Dozier, I mean, if you're if you're talking about middle infield, why the hell not try Dozier at second base? I mean, what's there? What seriously? What's there to lose? Uh, maybe not second. I, I guess second. I guess you got Merrifield there, but you get my point. I mean. Try Dozier at one of the middle infield spots, like, you know, whether in Omaha or I guess we really don't have anybody. If if you were to get rid of Escobar, Merrifield can't play shortstop, right? I don't think he's ever played shortstop. 
He's played a, a little bit in the minors, I think, but not, yeah. not a whole lot. So, uh, for, yeah, there really is nobody without getting rid of Merrifield. Dozier at second is the key, but I guess you could play Merrifield and right, but then you got to get rid of Bonifacio. I don't know, but Dozier, if you're having middle infield issues, Dozier solves it, at least for second base, and then you've got Mondesi at shortstop eventually, you hope. Um, but guys that have really surprised me, um, I'm surprised by how... Well, maybe not surprised, but Ryan O'Hearn is actually struggling a bit. He was doing really well to begin the year. His WRC Plus, I think, is down about 100, I want to say, last time I looked. So that's a little, not surprising, but it's a little disappointing. Um, I think he's hitting for just about as much power as he always does, more or less. Um, but I think um, he's just, I think he's getting babbit, babbit a bit down because um, he's not striking out a ton. I think the strikeouts have dropped this year. Um, so yeah, that's a bit bad, surprising. Um, trying to think, there's not a lot. Donnie Deweese I thought would do a lot better. He's definitely getting bad, but he was running like a sub, not a sub two, but he was running a low two hundred BABIP, and that guy should be like a three twenty, three thirty BABIP kind of guy. So I'm not super worried about him because he's still doing walks. Um, I think the power's right where it's always been. I think his BABIP will start coming up eventually. Um, that'll get him back to where you know he should be. He should be he should be hitting 100, 110 WRC plus at every level. Um, he's kind of that good of a contact kind of guy. Um, on the pitching side, it's tough seeing Stamont do his poor. Well, maybe not as poorly, but Stamont's doing what I thought he would do. Um, struggling a lot with command. His command's actually gone backwards a bit. Um, he still has those games like. Uh, didn't he have one the other that one night where he like he struck out like twelve batters over five innings and didn't walk anybody? Um, that's obviously amazing. Well, he had a seven. He had a seven walk game pretty recently too. <laughs> right, and then he hit, yeah, then he follows it up with a seven walk game. Or the yeah. other night I think where he gave up like five walks in like two innings or something. Like, you know, he's always going to be that guy. So he's not a um, he's not a he's not a starter for me. Um, but I'm trying to think of who's really Junis. Has actually done way, way better than I thought he would, which is great. Yeah, um, I kind of looked pretty good. Yeah, yeah, he looked good at his uh, uh, so far in AAA this year. He's repeating AAA. Uh, you know, he's not young. I think he's 24, 24. Um, and so, but he's been dominant AAA, which has been great. Yeah, and he's probably going to start on Tuesday as well. Um, I think is the talk supposedly. Um, right, that makes sense because Chris Young pitched today. Do they have anybody? I think it's going to be Junis. If I yeah, that sounds right. But I don't I haven't heard, I haven't heard any confirmation or anything like that. So having him do well is great. Um, yeah, I think that's it really as far as guys that have been surprising. Um, AJ Puckett's been eh, been not good really. I mean, a college guy should be destroying high A. Um, and, and looking at Puckett right now. Yeah, I mean he's got a he's almost he's got a 8K per nine and almost a five walk per nine, 4.16 FIP. And he needs to be doing a lot better in Wilmington um, than yeah. what he is. You know he he wasn't like a number two number one starter, but he's got to do better than that. I mean as a college guy, so that's unfortunate. That's definitely disappointing to see. You know he's just, he was the 67th overall pick, so it's not like you're got a lot of you spent a lot of capital on him necessarily. But I don't know. He's got to do better than that. Um, anybody that kind of stuck out for you that you can think of? Uh, just like as far as surprises, uh, I'll go with Ilya Hernandez. Yeah, just because oh, yeah. I kind of, I kind of forgot about him. Just you know, it seemed like he 
was given a large bonus a long time ago, and we just kind of forgot about him because he never put up very good numbers. And he's now uh, hit very well in Wilmington, hit 306, got moved up to Northwest Arkansas, has continued to hit. Um, I don't really know what kind of player he is, though, because he doesn't seem to have a lot of power. He doesn't have very good plate discipline. doesn't seem to have a lot of stolen base speed, so I don't know exactly what he does, what exactly he would bring to the table as far as a professional player. Like, I guess that's a fourth outfielder. Um, But, you know, he's hitting for a high average, which in minor leagues probably means it's a fluke, to be honest. But, but, you know, it's a pleasant surprise, I suppose. Yeah. Um, uh, Samir Duenes gets gets uh, hyped up. I know Jeffrey Flanagan had kind of a blurb where he was pretty high on him. Yeah, Clint Scholes. Um, I know Clint Scholes really likes him. I just don't see it with him, but um, he's done okay, I suppose. Uh, But yeah, he just doesn't seem like... He's a first baseman who doesn't hit for a whole lot of power. He's in for more power this year. He has seven home runs already and uh, 222 plate appearances, which still isn't like a ton, but it's it's better. Um, So those, I guess, are a couple guys that are... uh, Pitching-wise... Uh, Miguel Almonte, I think, has really surprised me just the way he's come back. Because I had pretty much written him off after yeah, yeah. I, I thought he was a disaster, and he's come back and pitched really well. Of course, it's just he's repeating double A, and he's, he should probably be in triple A by now. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but you know, it's nice to see him come around. Foster Griffin's another guy I'd kind of yeah. written off uh, that's off to a nice start in uh, Wilmington, and then he, he just got promoted to Northwest Arkansas. So he could be a potentially another lefty yeah. in the mix for the Royals eventually. He got rocked uh, pretty hard today. Or what it's yeah, so I don't, so I don't know. There's there's a couple guys there that kind of are a little exciting, but yeah, not. not. I, I tweeted this out. Um, Chase Vallow, he is hitting since May first. I'm going to try to call off the top of my head. I want to say 288, 396, 500. I think is what he was hitting. Um, of course, that bless his heart, he is injured again and again. <laughs> it's not something that like. And not like so like with Jorge Soler it's like a hamstring it's an oblique it's this and that just from like normal baseball activities nope Vlo got hit by another pitch um, and so he has missed the past three games and maybe the past four games so he got hit by a pitch in the face missed a ton or, uh, had a back injury at collision home plate missed a few weeks came back his very first game back got hit in the face by pitch and now this time he's also been hit by another pitch he's a big boy but he's not that big of a target i mean he's not like jafet amador you know weighing 350 pounds out there i mean he's a big boy but he must have a target on his back and his face man because he cannot he cannot get out of these freak injuries uh, you know i guess it's normal baseball stuff in a way but i mean getting hit by pitch that's like a oh come on kind of thing you know yeah um, especially with how hot he was uh, I think he got his WRC plus up to like 116 or so, which, as a 20 year old in Wilmington, is is pretty solid. Um, of course, strikeouts are still an issue. Um, I think his strikeouts are up, um, but I don't know. It's always going to be an issue with him. He's not never going to be like a you know Nicky Lopez kind of guy. So, and is he is he still behind the plate primarily? Or yeah, they... I think so. Um, I don't think Wilmington has really anybody back there um, other than him. Uh, let me see. I don't think that he I'm pretty I know he's DH'd um, a couple games but I think he's played I want to say 80% of his games at uh, catcher which is exactly what you want I mean is he going to be a catcher long term nah, I don't know he's a pretty bad catcher Clay Davenport had him as a negative 6 defender so far this year so that's obviously not great I think that's <laughs> I think that was the worst defender in the Royals minor leagues as far as that he had stats on 
Um, and he has played catcher 30 games, DH 12. Um, so, I mean, he's definitely played a bunch. Really good caught stealing rate. I know those are kind of big asterisks in the minors, but it's a 25% caught stealing rate, which is pretty solid. Um, he has a pretty good arm, but, yeah, I mean, he's got like a ton of, pa- well, I think four pass balls, uh, four pass balls in 30 games. That's that's not good. Um, he's already got yeah. 45 pass balls for his minor league career so far. So that's a lot. Um, pretty poor fielding percentage. So, yeah. Still a work in progress. Is he going to stay there? I don't know. But it's worth a shot for the next few years to at least give him a try. Um, have you been surprised? So Khalil Lee has cooled off a bit. I know a lot of people were fans of him. Not that I wasn't a fan of him, but I didn't really buy into um, you know, his kind of profile completely. He's really kind of cooled off. Him and Chase Velo have been kind of opposites where Khalil Lee was killing it early on. Kind of fell off below as having issues early on, kind of come up. I think they basically have an equal WRC plus now, which is interesting. Um, but Lee's, yeah, striking out a ton. Um, my, some of that's probably bad, not bad luck, but he doesn't have a huge swinging strike rate so far this year. But he's still striking out 34% of the time. So that's something to, to worry about. That was always kind of the, the page on him, the strikeout. So, I don't know. It's interesting stuff. A lot of it, obviously, is in the kind of lower minors. That's the real interesting stuff. So that's something we'll just have to wait a bit on to see, you know, how that goes. Especially if they do some trades uh, here near the deadline, we should have a lot more interesting stuff. Yeah, the, the minor league system is definitely going to look a lot different in about two months after the draft. Where, like I said, they have four picks in the top 90. And also after July, which most people anticipate they will do quite a few trades. Yeah. I'm not as convinced I, they're going to. I know. I agree. Uh, I just think it's in Dayton Moore's... Like philosophy, yeah. not to have a fire sale. And here's here's the other thing: it's really hard to pull off that many trades in a month because you know you think about most fire sales um, take a year, two years to before they trade everyone away because you're gonna have to wait for opportunities to come up. And I think we you know we mentioned this on an earlier podcast. There may not be a team that wants Eric Hosmer that needs a first baseman that can make a that can match up well for a trade. Uh, so you may have to kind of pick and choose who gets traded, and I'm not sure that many guys will get traded. So I don't know. I'm, if you had to pick, if you had to kind of predict, like how many how uh, many trades do you think there'll be? Who, who do you think gets traded? Well, I mean, so third basemen don't get traded a lot at the deadline, um, right? I, you know, maybe nobody would want to trade for Mustakas and then not play him in the field, so he couldn't DH. I mean, he could, but it'd be wasting him. Um, Hosmer, yeah, who the hell? Who who the hell wants Hosmer? I mean, like if you look at the top, a, the Yankees, I guess. I mean, yeah, that's, I mean, everyone keeps coming back to them, right? But then they've got, uh, I mean, they've got like uh, Gary Bird. I mean, they've got a ton of guys who kind of fit that DH one B kind of mold. Uh, Gary Bird, Greg Bird, uh, like Chris Carter. They got Matt Holiday. I mean, they got a bunch of kind of guys. It's like, all right, you can just plug them in at one B if you want. Um, yeah, the, other thing, the other thing too is like. There will be other teams that are out of it that have first base and that they, they would like to trade. I mean, they yeah. may, you know, uh, I I don't know exactly who's out there, but I don't know the A's if they want to trade Yonder Alonso and yeah, oh, sell high on him. I mean, yeah, 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 they would absolutely flip him while his value is high, and and try to get something for him. So it's not like Hosmer, and they probably wouldn't ask for as much no. for Alonso as the Royals are asking for Hosmer. Right. You got like Logan Morrison, who people you know might not buy it, but Logan Morrison's almost like a two-win player for the race right now, and I mean. Sure, if the Rays came along and said, "Hey, whatever you're gonna, whatever you were gonna pay for Hosmer, give us half of that, and we'll give you Logan Morrison." I mean, right. um, 
uh, like the I think the Blue Jays are coming back. I think Justin Smoke. I don't think they trade him. But yeah, I mean, shoot, the White Sox could trade Jose Abreu. They could put him on the market, right. and that would, you know, he'd be the top bidder thing there. Um, so yeah, that's uh, or shoot or like well, I don't know if they would do it, but Miguel Cabrera. I mean, the Tigers have literally said that hey, if we're not competing by the deadline, we're going to start trading guys. And, and they've made surprising trades before. Yeah, and you know Miguel Cabrera. That's uh, it's tough to see them trading him, but. I mean, can you imagine what, like, the Yankees or the Red Sox would pay for Miguel Cabrera? I know that the contract's not great, but, like, I still, I mean, he's still, like, got to be one of the top ten hitters in baseball at this point. And he's 34, he's still owed a lot of money, but, I mean, I could, Dave Dombrowski trying to get back Miguel Cabrera? Are you kidding me? He would pay, he'd give up Rafael Devers for Miguel Cabrera, I would bet. So, I don't know. Um, Kane, obviously, would have a market. Herrera would obviously have a market. I tell you what, man, if you're going to go for it, and I probably think I'm going to write about this, go trade Danny Duffy. I know it's bad optics, but, I mean, if you're going to do this, you know, imagine three years from now, if Danny Duffy, you know, God forbid, starts declining, you're going to you're gonna wonder why you kept him uh, for a team that wins, you know, 74 games or something. Not maybe this year, but, you know, a team that struggles to win that's in rebuilding two, three years from now. Like, you're going to have this guy who has is worth less now because you just didn't want to trade him. Will they trade him? Probably not. But, I mean, if you're going to go for it, go for it. Yeah, well, they may end up trading him eventually. But, yeah, it probably won't be yeah. in the next couple of years. Uh, yeah, I think when it comes when it comes down to we're still too What way? I, I guess just and like Kane being the only two guys in – they say, like, oh, we wanted to kind of keep the guys together, and yeah. we still think we can re-sign Stockus and Hosmer, and we think there is value in winning games down the stretch. and and Or, you know, like he said, I don't know if you caught the interview he had where he said that he had to trade off or, oh, yeah. for Kendris Morales and Essen Volquez, but yeah. he, he didn't want to get duplicates, which I didn't understand what that meant, yeah. but he also said he didn't, want to get, he didn't want to get players that wouldn't be top ten prospects in the system. I'm like, well... You ended up getting nothing for it. Yeah, so, absolutely nothing. Uh, I don't get that. So and so uh, Var- Vargas is another one. I guess you could. They absolutely have to trade Vargas. There's just no way you can hold on to him, unless somehow come you know July fifteenth or whatever they are somehow back to. Uh, well, no, I mean they don't. They need to be more than five hundred. They need to be way better than that at the deadline to try and beat sellers. Uh, to try to be buyers, like you gotta trade Jason Vargas. Like this is, this is, this is what bad teams. Don't do is they don't trade guys that they should have traded like Volquez and Morales. Um, Jose Quintana, well, Cosentano is obviously really good, but you know they should have traded Jose Quintana. The White Sox should have traded him earlier. I mean, Soria back in the day. Soria, right? Uh, Wade Davis. I mean, I think they should have traded him at the deadline last year. At least seen what they could have gotten. I, I don't know. Um, so, yeah, I think Vargas, Kane, Herrera are for sure gone are guys that are like okay we, we need to go um trade and then behind them would be Mustakis and then Hosmer will be last I, I think they're going to try and resign Hosmer or they're going to hold on to him um but I was thinking about qualifying offers like do you think everybody takes a qualifying offer I mean I know Herrera's not due up but I don't know if Herrera I don't know if I would offer Herrera a qualifying offer um uh, or would he even turn it down? I mean, he's a really good reliever, but he's not Kinley Jansen kind of type. I mean, I know Mark uh, Melanson got a bunch of money, but, I mean, he's not going to sign a Chapman deal where he would turn it down, right? 
Well, we're talking about two years. Two years from now. Yeah, I mean, yeah, a year from now, I guess a year from yeah, yeah. this one. So, and, you know, I guess it all depends on what he does in the next yeah. year and a half. But He did bad um, this year. I, you know, you know it's, and it's not like the guy is expecting to sign an $18 million annual yeah. value contract. You know, he's looking for, can I get a four-year worth $14, 15000000 million a year, which he probably could. Yeah. Uh, if, he's, if he puts up the numbers he's put up. Now, if he starts breaking down and starts being a little shaky, then that changes the equation a little bit. But. Well, I mean, he already – so, like, this year, I mean, he's got a 3.68 ERA and a 4.36 FIP. I mean, yeah. he's been a little unlucky with home runs, I think. But, yeah, he's been really unlucky with home runs. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, he doesn't need to get 18 a year. But, I mean, I'm thinking just in return, like, the pick you get back. I mean, that'd only be a second-round pick. Not only a second-round pick, but you know what I'm saying. I mean, it's – the reason you give guys QOs is because you're expecting a first round pick. It, you know, it, mm, right? You don't. You're saying he wouldn't sign a fifty million dollar contract, so he wouldn't get the yeah. I, I don't know first I, round pick. Yeah, I don't know if he would. I mean, yeah. No, that's probably. I think you're probably right about yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you make the QO when you make a QO. You're 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 wanting the first round pick. That's the risk you're taking. You're you're giving a guy potentially eighteen, nineteen million dollars, whatever it'll be next year, in return for the taking on that risk. You should be getting the first round pick back. You know, you. I can understand if you offer Hosmer a QO just because you're thinking, okay, we know he's going to sign somewhere else. We know he's not going to accept this, so it doesn't matter. We'll take a second or a first round pick because you know that's a slam dunk QO decline. But a guy like Herrera, um, or obviously a guy like Jason Vargas, you know, you're obviously not going to offer him a QO. And if you do, no one's going to give him fifty million dollars. So you know you're only going to get a second round pick from it. Um, so yeah, I mean, Kane. Can you offer a QO on, right? I think so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But does he get 50? I guess I should ask. That's what I'm I'm asking. Oh, he, is he going to sign for more than $50 million, I guess is kind of what, I, what I'm getting at. I think, yeah. I think barring injury, I think Kane does. But, okay. But I, I'm, I'm interested in seeing how this plays out because in the past, you'd be reluctant to offer qualifying offer because you're afraid he'll accept it because, yeah. A, he wants $19 million for that year, but also he doesn't want to go out into the free agent market with, the qualifying offer yeah, dragging exactly. him down right. that the team has to give up the first round pick. Now a team doesn't have to give up a first round pick exactly. for him. They only have to give up a third round pick. So there's less incentive for the player to accept it. So you would only accept it if you felt like, okay, I want to get that $19 million and I'll take my chances that I won't get hurt and I'll get a multi-year deal next year. Exactly. I don't know. I don't know if a lot of players are going to take that. No. I think they would rather get the, I think they would rather get, the guaranteed multi-year deal, yeah. even if it's a much lower, at a much lower rate, yeah. Just because you know, Kelvin Herrera, if he blows out his arm, yeah, he's not going to get that multi-year deal anymore. He's going to get that one-year, nineteen million-dollar contract, and then maybe a minor league deal the next year. Um, yeah. Or you know, I guess probably realistically, he would get something close to what Greg Holland yeah. got. This I would have given. Uh, I would have given QOs. You know, if I was a GM, I would give QOs to like all. Everybody who oh, yeah. is in that range, absolutely. Right. Like even the right. past few years, I would have given them to everybody because players – wasn't it – I think it was just last year and this is the third year. Last year was like the third year of the QO system. It was just for the first time last year that someone – I think it ended up being like three or four guys. But like nobody had ever accepted a QO until last year. And it was like Brett Anderson. Like it's the guys who were obviously hurt that it's like, ah, I don't know if you should have really given them a QO. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. I would have given them to absolutely everybody in the old system. Now the new system, oh heck yeah, I'd give them to every free agent who's who's you know at risk for not accepting it. Uh, like Kane, Mustakas, Hosmer, Herrera, all those guys. 
absolutely on the board for QOs with him. Especially if you're in a position like the Royals where, you, first of all, you need the draft picks because yeah. you need to build up the system. But at the very le- at the very worst, you get that player back for one more year at, yeah, it's $19 million and yeah, it's the Royals and they can't really afford paying players like that that much money. But they've obviously shown a propensity to spend money and uh, they want to compete, kind of compete these next couple of years. So if you get Lorenzo Cain back for one more year, that's not a bad thing. I, it may cost you spending money somewhere else, but you know, considering they don't really have a lot of in-house options to take over center field next year, that wouldn't yeah. be the worst thing in the world. So yeah. I agree with that philosophy. And it seems like it seems like teams are behind the curve on that for a while, or at least some teams are ahead of the curve, and the players are way behind the curve. They didn't seem to understand that uh, you can accept that qualifying offer because you're you're not going to get a good deal if you're yeah. Kendrick Morales. Uh, like he did a couple years ago with the Twins, where he didn't get signed until June. I mean, they they just didn't see. Everyone seemed to overinflate their own value a lot. And Wait, he yeah he, okay. I, I was forgetting for a second. He didn't get a QO this this past. Uh, no, he, no, no. But I'm talking about when he was a free agent yeah, before. Yeah, yeah I was just, yeah, he I, didn't he didn't get one from the Royals. And it would have been it would have been the Royals would have done well. Well, I don't know if the Blue Jays would have given him three thirty or whatever he ended up getting. Uh wait, was it? No, that was Butler. I don't mind what her. No, it's yeah, three three thirty nine. It was three thirty. Yeah, I mean, hindsight. Oh, he would absolutely would have turned it down if he knew that you know three thirty nine was on was on deck. But yeah, ah man, this year and going forward, you've got to give every single fringe guy a QO. Worst case, because even if they turn it down, and they probably most of them are going to turn it down, you've got at a minimum a second round pick, and teams only have to give up a third round pick um, for them. So yeah, I. I We'll see. They got a lot of a lot of guys that they need to be having discussions on. And Moore said he never shops players, so that's not great. <laughs> well, I'm sure they're coming to him these days. Yeah. They know they know who's available and who's who's out there. So uh, definitely, we'll have a lot to talk about in the month yep. of July. But but hey, first we got the draft, and we'll we'll have a lot of coverage for the draft next week. I know you'll be on it when you're not at class, and even when you're when you are in class. So yeah. I appreciate that, uh, and you can follow. All of Sean's tweets about the draft and all draft-related stuff and prospect stuff, and even a little bit of stuff about the Royals, uh, you can follow him on Twitter at SeanCor, S-H-A-U-N-C-O-R-E. Uh, any last words, Sean? Let me let me ask you one off-topic thing real quick. I know we'll make sure. it quick. Um, as a lawyer, as a lawyer yourself, if you aren't practicing law, are, do you – are you a lawyer just because you passed the bar, or do you think you need to be practicing law to be call yourself a lawyer? I'm talking about Clay Travis, who calls himself a lawyer, but he's you know on ESPN Radio or whatever. Is that fair? <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know. I I, I kind of go back and forth whether I do even call myself a lawyer. Yeah. So I I've I've graduated law school and I did pass the bar, but uh and and for a while I was a non-practicing status. But right now I've actually I I don't actually practice, but I'm practicing status just. So I have to do the continuing education stuff. Oh, okay. I don't know why it costs me too much money, and I shouldn't. I don't know why I do it, but um, it's kind of a pain to go back off. I guess is a big thing, but uh, yeah, I kind of i I tell people I'm a lawyer only because it's a lot easier than telling them I'm a public oh, policy yeah, analyst. Yeah, yeah. No one, no one knows what that is. But then if I tell them I'm a lawyer, they, they say, "Oh, what do you practice?" Like, well, I don't. Ah, <laughs> so, yeah. so yeah, I would probably say okay. you're not a lawyer unless you're actually practicing. Like, I would say. You are what your job is, and my job is, an, is a policy analyst. Yeah. And Travis's job is a shock sports jock, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hot, take, hot take producer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I mean, you could I, I, 
with a lot, you could say you have a law degree. I mean, you got you earned that. Yeah. But you're not a. Did you pack, did you pass the Missouri or Kansas bar? I passed the Missouri because I thought I would if I did practice, there was more of a chance I would be working in Kansas City. Oh yeah. And I thought, and also I think there was a, a there was a small chance I was going to live in St. Louis. But uh, are those? Do you know is the is the Missouri bar easier than the Kansas one? Or? I believe it's one of the easier in the country. But oh really? At least when I took it, I, yeah. My sister took the New York bar, which is the toughest. Uh, so I'm curious. I, we never really talked about it, but we should huh. compare notes at the time because okay. I, I bet her experience is a lot, a lot more difficult than mine. But I, I don't. I, I think Missouri has one of the highest passage rates, which okay. is not necessarily mean it's <laughs> easiest, but it, it's probably a pretty good indicator. Yeah, I don't know if it's just. I don't know if people. I don't know if it's just because people are smarter in Missouri. I don't quite think that's the case uh, compared to New York. Um, but yeah, okay. I just because yeah, Clay Travis said he was a lawyer, and I was like, well, you don't really practice law. Like you know, if you're <laughs> if, if you have a, a medical degree, it's like yeah, you're a doctor, but you're a doctor because you have a PhD, not a doctor because you you know. If you're not practicing medicine, I don't. Know, right, right. You wouldn't call him a doctor if they're just selling medical supplies right. or, or something. golfer. Yeah. Like if he was a pro golfer, <laughs> I wouldn't call him a doctor. I'd call him a pro golfer. So. I don't know. Yeah, but like professors get that. They get that title for yeah, the whole. Exactly. Lot, and it's just because they're, they're not professing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, well, so. it was random end of podcast thoughts, so. <laughs> well, thanks. Uh, thanks for that. And yes, yeah, so if you want to, and if you want to catch my tweets, they're not, I guarantee they're not law related because I don't, I'm not a practicing lawyer. Uh, you can catch me at Max Reaper, M-A-X-R-I-E-P-E-R. You can also catch uh, all the latest Royals Review articles uh, at, on Twitter at Royals Review or, of course, at our website at www. Dot royalsreview.com Sean thanks so much thank you and we I, I think I think we're going to do that um, I think we should try to figure out is we sh- we're going to do I'm going to promise this now we're going to fulfill it later we're going to do a live a, a simulcast we're going to have Royals Review guy members watch a baseball game not together but we're going to have a live audio to a Royals game I'm going to figure out how that works and people can tune in why don't you want to why don't you want to get together you don't you I guess we can get together <laughs> Hmm, we should uh, we should do it at a bar too, so you can hear us get progressively drunker as uh, uh, yeah. as Royals. Uh, Travis Wood comes into the yep. game. Oh, I'm trying to think of how we could do it where people could listen and watch the game at the same time. I, oh I, yeah, I think we could some sort of technology like Facebook video or something like that. We'll figure we'll figure it out. All right, all right. We'll, look for that in the future as well. So anyway, uh, what, what is what's your usual sign off? Uh, have happy thoughts or something. Like have that? many many good days. We have many good days. All right, everyone. Have a good night. Celebrate confetti, show me love when you're ready to then I'll be chilling.